You're listening to Motor Mouth with Andrew McCready and David Booth. Thanks for tuning in to the latest Motor Mouth podcast. For the past three decades, journalist David Booth has been airing his opinions, his observations, and his grievances about all things automotive in his celebrated Motor Mouth column in the National Post and on Driving.ca. I'm Andrew McCready, and I will serve as host of the Motor Mouth podcast, doing my best to stay out of David's way, but also to challenge him from time to time on some of his more, shall we say, controversial views. And believe me, there are always those when speaking to David. Hello, David. How you doing? I'm well. How about you? Not too bad. I mean, uh, spring has sprung. Uh, the grass hasn't quite riz, um, but uh, I am wondering where the birdies is. You'll be riding your motorbike soon. I will indeed. Okay, so you've recently written a couple of columns pertaining to zero emission motoring, but not in the traditional sense, I think, that most people think of zero emission. When they think of those, they think of battery electric vehicles, BEVs, the kind you plug in, um, a Tesla's, the Nissan Leafs. These are the vehicles we think of when we think of zero emissions. However, there are some other technologies out there that are starting to make some inroads. Um, Let's start with hydrogen fuel cells, a technology that has been around for decades, but in the past few years has picked up steam, which is a host pun as water vapor is the sole emission from a fuel cell vehicle. In your estimation, what role is hydrogen going to play in our light vehicle transportation sector here in Canada? Well, first of all, for hydrogen to take off, it's actually going to have to start with the heavy duty um, vehicle segment, the long haul trucks. Um, the fact of the matter is, is batteries can, though not always appropriately, fit most cars, but they don't do well with long haul uh, trucks. Um, the, uh, the, a battery that could power a long haul truck would weigh so much, they'd lose at least a quarter of their payload. The charging times take away from the driving time, and that's money in the trucking business. So I think that what's going to happen is it's going to be led by long-haul trucks. Uh, there's always already a case in um, England where they're building 30 um, uh, hydrogen refueling stations along their major highways, and they're planning them for long-haul trucks, but then they're going to use them for light vehicles like we drive. Uh, once, uh, and again, once that infrastructure is in place, then there will be more opportunity for light-duty vehicles. Light-duty vehicles, it makes a whole bunch of sense for those people for whom um, uh, long-distance travel is important. For uh, for somebody that is uh, travels maybe once or twice a year uh, on, a, on a road trip, a battery uh, electric vehicle is the ideal solution. You charge at home, at least right now, uh, electricity is a lot cheaper than gasoline or hydrogen will be, and so it's a perfect solution. If you're a war, war, road warrior like me, who's on the road probably every three, maximum four weekends, battery-powered vehicles don't make nearly as much sense. And that's where light vehicles will come into play. They will also possibly come into play with people that live in um, uh, row houses and other places where charging at home isn't easy. There are some people, uh, I've read about them, um, that have battery electric vehicles as their only vehicle and charge it at local DC fast charging stations like you and I might do gasoline-powered cars, but that's not the future. So in those cases, is another case 
for hydrogen fuel cells. Yeah, I, th I think when discussing this and, and what we're going to discuss a little later, what you've written many times is there is no single solution to the problem of reducing mobility's CO2 emissions. I would tell you right away, and we'll get into this hopefully a little more at the end of the um, uh, synthetic gas um, discussion, um, because it's getting now some negative feedback from those who think batteries can do everything. The biggest problem, the biggest uh, fallacy going forward for zero emissions mobility is that a battery can power all of our transportation devices. Uh, it, it's, it's simplistic. It's silly. It's not forward thinking and it won't be effective. And worst of all, the politicians have bought into it. So, so what are the, I mean, what are the limitations? We're all seeing, we're, we're being told that electric vehicles are the future, you know, by 2035 or whatever markers out there in different governments and countries, they're saying, you know, hundred percent of our vehicles will be, will be battery electric. So why isn't that scalable? Why isn't that going to happen? Why do we need these other solutions to be part of the mix? There's a number of, of issues. Uh, one is the combination of range and recharging. Let's take the long haul truck. Long haul trucks need to go far fast with as little rest as possible and carrying as much load as possible. Batteries can't do any of that on, uh, for say, a Kenworth 18-wheeler. They cannot. Uh, you know, I mean, you lose... Like I said, a quarter of the load instead of a 15 or a 10 minute re, um, uh, refueling, you're looking at three hours to recharge. It's just not possible to ship oranges from Florida, say, in a truck to Toronto, Canada, and still have our cheap price of oranges. Not possible. Another solution, possibly equally um, zero emissions, must be found. The same with um, airplanes, okay? People get all excited because there's a few short-haul airplanes that are being touted uh, as battery-powered. But anybody thinking that there's going to be a 747 that transports 400 or more people from where you live in Vancouver to, um, say, Frankfurt, which is a, a common route, uh, and it's going to be battery-powered, are absolutely dreaming in te technicolor. That's not happening. <laughs> So there's a lot of different areas where different solutions have to be found. Uh, in fact, what, one of the interesting things is we discussed this off uh, mic a few times. And one of the things I was a little bit surprised was, I mean, we're equally zero emissions co cognizant, but you actually uh, predicted, I, as I remember, a few less BEVs out of the mix uh, going forward than I did. I, I think that BEVs will be at least the plurality of light-duty vehicles, if not the majority. Um, I, you know, I could see a time, twenty, whether it's 2035 or 2040, where 50, maybe even 60% of, uh, of, of cars go, uh, would be battery-powered. 100% no. I mean, I just drove the Ford Lightning. A lovely, lovely vehicle. It handles better than a gas-powered car. It's faster than a gas-powered car. It's silent. It rides better. Um, it does so many things better than a gas-powered uh, truck, um, the, the F-150 equivalent, whatever it might be. But it, you can't go anywhere in it. You just can't. Um, I mean, the best uh, range I could get on the highway is 300 clicks. 
tow a, a boat or a trailer behind it. And if it's cold out, you'll be lucky to get 150, 160 clicks. That's just not feasible. And it's already got 134 kilowatt hours of battery usable in it. Probably the, the total amount of battery and it's closer to 150. What are we going to do? Put 300 kilowatt hours of battery in, 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 in our trucks so they can haul long dis, uh, haul our, our boats to where we need to go? That's not happening. I mean, 300 kilowatts of battery would weigh about 3,500 pounds. Um, uh, it would cost, at, even at the numbers we were predicting for lower cost, it would cost about $35,000 American. That's the only way you'll be able to get a pickup truck that will tow something an adequate distance. And then when you get to where you're going, you got to charge a 300 kilowatt battery, which God, you know, that even with a DC fast shower, charger, that's going to take hours. So again, the plurality, if not the majority of cars going forward could be battery powered. Not all of them can be. So it sounds like what you're saying is is vehicles, um, bigger sport utility vehicles, trucks, pickup trucks, I mean, um, things that tow, they're not good for battery electrics, but this is where you could see hydrogen fitting in. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, uh, uh, the battery in that uh, lightning that I just mentioned, I'm just guessing, but it's 15, 16, 1800 pounds. And, and then, like I said, when you're towing, it's got no range. Um, you know, uh, and it, it, you could easily put in a hydrogen uh, fuel cell and enough storage in 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 uh, in between its frame rails so that you could get more mileage than what the battery powered one uh, manages and also still recharge quite quickly. I mean, the the F-150 takes an eon to charge. So the hydrogen, uh, an, uh, an F-150 with hydrogen fuel cell instead of a battery would be able to go farther and char and refuel much, much more quickly, probably in about the same time as uh, a diesel or gas powered one. Yep. Well, for, for comparison's sake, I'm driving currently the Toyota Mirai um, fuel cell vehicle. There is a uh, SO hydrogen station two kilometers from my house. It takes me about four and a half minutes to fill it. So, is that including any credit card purchase or is that the actual process? That's the process. It's, it's, yeah, very, so it's, it's very simple to do. They've, they've, um, HTEC is the operator out here and they have a very intuitive pump it, they they try to make it as as similar to filling your vehicle with gas it is a little tricky getting the nozzle onto the the vehicle itself but once you figure that out it's 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 simple well i've actually sat around for eight hours with a timer and, and on a rush hour uh a rush hour day on the side of the highway at a gas station and clocked how many pe how long it takes people to fuel their gasoline uh, powered vehicles and that's about one minute the actual process not including the credit card that's why i asked the question and it's about a minute 45 to about two and a half minutes so in other words um, what you're confirming and i already knew was that it's virtually the same process um i would say that uh, an f-150 would uh you get 5.6 kilograms of hydrogen i think in the uh in the mirai it would need so uh, ten or twelve, so it'd be six or seven, yep. maybe eight minutes. Sounds Whereas, right. I mean, take my word for this. I mean, you you can have a nap and a meal, 
um, <laughs> in the time it takes an F-150 Lightning to uh, to recharge 100%. It really, you really can't. It it doesn't make any sense. It makes sense for land uh, a battery powered pickup truck makes sense for people in towns and say suburbs who use it as a minivan wrong wrong uh, uh, choice but it could work for that those kind of people who use it as a work truck within a specific community uh, and a, a known limit of how much kilometers you're going to put on in a day it could be used for that kind of thing for other purposes for all the purposes that a truck could do we're going to need something else than 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 uh batteries and that's probably hydrogen so it sounds wonderful hydrogen sounds like this that almost better than battery electric vehicles in many ways what are the challenges facing canada to have this happen challenges are huge uh one uh batteries are far ahead in the infrastructure uh, hydrogen has really uh, come alive in the last couple of months you said a couple of years. It was starting to go a couple of years ago. In the last six months, it's just blown up. Um, I know that there's a place in Texas going to build a, a, refi- uh, a, a plant, a refinery. It's going to build, uh, produce 200,000 kilograms a day. That's 35,000 marais a day. Hmm. Um, um, so that's the number one thing. There's the transportation of uh, and the moving of the of the product, and then of course there's the infrastructure, just as the challenges for electric vehicles with enough uh, charging points. The benefit of hydrogen, um, that from a logistical standpoint, is compared to even a say a 250 kilowatt charger, you need one eighth the number of of or maybe one twelfth the number of uh, hydrogen fueling stations, then you do do need DCFCs to handle the same load, mainly because they take so much longer. And that's gonna make a, a difference, uh, both from investment and also from real estate, because you know if you need that many chargers, it's gonna take up a lot of area. So one, one final discussion, t- talking point on, on hydrogen. Um, in, in one of your recent Motor Mouth, you, you wrote that the vehicle you were writing about uh, could become the latest milestone in automotive electrification, right up there with Tesla's game-changing Model S and the evergreen Toyota Prius. That certainly gets my attention, David. What is this vehicle? It's a, a, a Honda CRV that uh, America is building, and it's a hybrid of battery power and fuel cell power. And I'm going to give myself a tiny bit of a pat on the back, Andrew, please, because I've been calling for that combination for five years and everybody said dave you don't know what you're talking about that'll never work nobody's going to do it it doesn't make sense well it makes all the sense in the world because what it does is it combines um fuel cells and batteries and 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 i'm sure most of your listeners know that fuel cells and batteries are essentially and battery powered vehicles are essentially the same except for the source of energy they all both have electric motors. They have inverters. Most of the architecture is the same. Unlike current hybrids, where you got to marry an electric motor to a gasoline motor, and they're not at all the same. So a a, a, um, a battery fuel cell hybrid is much simpler to produce from an engineering point of view than the current uh, gasoline um, electric hybrids. Okay, that's number one. Number two is it marries the best advantages of both. Uh, products. Uh, a battery uh, fuel cell hybrid that, say, had a big enough battery to do 100 kilometers 
um, would offer most of the advantages of BEVs in that you would, when you're driving in rural circumstances, you would be running on low cost electricity and you would charge it at home every night. And with a hundred kilometers, most people wouldn't run out um, during the day. So for your common experiences and your common driving, you would uh, use a, B, uh, a hydrogen um, a battery uh, hybrid exactly as you would a BEV. Home charging, cheap electricity, convenience, you don't have to visit a gas station. And then on the highway, when you drive it, um, you would fuel up as quickly as you would with a gasoline-powered car. Uh, one of the other advantages is, you know, hydrogen infrastructure is very um, expensive. But if the only place you need hydrogen infrastructure is on the highway because you don't need to fuel up in town and you don't have to replace all the gas stations that are in urban centers, you only have to replace those on the highway because, again, it's a hybrid. It has enough to get you around town uh, on battery alone. Then it solves an infrastructure uh, problem, okay, which batteries can't alone can't do. I mean, a, a battery... Um, a battery infrastructure with enough highway and urban to supply everybody um, uh, their needs of electricity for recharge is going to be more expensive than a, a hydrogen refueling uh, infrastructure. So as far as I can see, when you look at the strengths, hydrogen works on the highway, batteries work in an urban setting. Combining the two, especially since the only thing that you got to do is have two sources of energy, the inverters, the wiring, the uh, electric motors that are beyond that are exactly identical. No transmissions needed to be connected like you do in a Toyota Prius to combine the engine, the gas engine and the, uh, and the uh, electric motor. Uh, it's the most commonsensical um, uh, approach to uh, uh, overall zero emission vehicle that I could think of. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh, this uh, Honda CRV uh, really does a good job with it. I'm told it's going to be available around 2014. I am following it with great interest. 2024. 20, oh, sorry, sorry. I know you try to lose age on yourself, David. Yeah, I know. I'm, I turned 65. I'm trying to regress like Brad <laughs> Pitt in that movie. Like Brad Pitt in that movie. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, well, I, I know that you've been advocating for that kind of combination of powertrain for quite some time, and it, it there did seem an inevitability to it. Um, kudos to Honda. Um, you would have thought perhaps a Toyota or a BMW that has been, you know, exploring the hydrogen vehicles a little more over the last decade would have done it, but uh, Honda's kind of leapfrogged everybody. I absolutely agree with you, and 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 I would say it's to Toyota's detriment because they're still pushing the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid argument, and it would make a bunch more sense to be doing that with a combination with hydrogen as well. Um, it, it might overcome that sort of psychological factor that the um, the zero emission advocates are having with plug-in hybrids. Um, uh, that the fact that it was at least hydrogen powered on, on the second portion. Uh, of its hybrid powertrain. Uh, I don't know why they didn't do it. Um, I think they made a mistake. It is what it is. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here um, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, David, we've talked hydrogen. Let's, let's explore another zero emission way of getting around in a vehicle. And this one is a relatively new technology. Synthetic fuel 
or as you've dubbed it in a recent Motormouth column, Green Gas. That had the somewhat sensational headline, How to Make Internal Combustion Engines Greener Than EVs. Before we talk about it, what kind of feedback have you received on that column? <laughs> well, first off, the, the basic technology, making synthetic gas, is actually a, more than 100 years old. Um, and the other thing is, is and I, I'm going to risk a little bit here and say that it was actually put into not popularization, but most used in the Second World War by the bad guys. Okay. Okay. Um, they ran out of gas. People basically did what we're doing to Russia and cut off cut off uh, the sanctions. The other place it was used was in New Zealand in the first gas crisis because they just couldn't afford to get gas and they didn't have a supply of their own, so they made it. But the fact that it's now green, um, um, back then they made it with fairly dirty products. Um, so because environmentalism wasn't uh, the uh, the real um, onus uh, for production, um, now that it's green, it's a, it's a lot different. Um, uh, the way it works, the way it works is actually pretty simple. And part of the process is what we just finished discussing: hydrogen. They basically take water, they electrolyze it into hydrogen and oxygen, and then what they do is they take a carbon and uh, they combine it and you have carbon hydrogen and oxygen which is a hydrocarbon which is gasoline the trick to this is that the carbon that they're used to build the synthetic gas is all carbon that's been captured from the environment and so it's net zero um uh, basically uh, if you have use green energy to electrolyze the hydrogen and if you use green energy like wind power to power the carbon capture uh, stuff um, it basically turns out that uh, for every gram of uh, of uh, carbon dioxide that is emitted out the tailpipe when you burn the synthetic gas that all of it a hundred percent of it I checked if it was hundred percent hundred percent of it comes from the atmosphere already so burning that gas adds no carbon to the atmosphere and that's its um benefit now as to your question what's been the reaction well like everything polemic these days it's exactly falls along party lines like the people that like their current cars are quite happy i mean all of them uh, are, want to be um, you know, uh, environmentally conscious, and this gives them uh, yet another way to to do so, as opposed to switching to electrics. Um, some of the electric people think this is like the second coming of the of of Satan himself. Uh, you know, it's not right. Uh, it's 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 and uh, it's not efficient. It's energy intensive. But th what they seem to be really unhappiest about is the concept that a car like that is actually more carbon or better for the atmosphere from a carbon dioxide standpoint, greenhouse gas standpoint, than current EVs on a lifetime basis. And that upsets the karma really a lot and uh, they don't like it, but it is true. 
So the 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 issue there obviously is the lithium ion batteries in the battery electric vehicles. That's the source. Um, just just to get the material creates so much. Uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. The the, pro, uh, the 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 best I've seen. Uh, the most realistic study of this I've seen is by Volvo. There's been others. Um, and, uh, um, and, and they're more optimistic from a BEV standpoint, but uh, they, they just seem too optimistic in that they want BEVs to work out. Uh, so does um, Volvo. But if there's ever been a car company that um, sticks to the truth and is 100% transparent, it's Volvo. I mean, you know, the, they're stickler for details, the, the most honest businessman I've ever come across. And so... I, I won't get the numbers exactly right, but a gas car and an electric car to produce them short of the battery are roughly the same in terms of total carbon production in their manufacture. I think the electric cars, uh, because people put more aluminum in them, produce maybe one ton more. It might be 17 um, uh, tons of carbon dioxide to produce a gas car. Uh, and then it's uh, 18 to produce or 19 to produce a um, um, an equivalent electric vehicle because the batteries are so heavy, they want lighter materials, so they use more aluminum than steel. But, but the big problem, as you mentioned, is there's another seven or eight tons, and these are fairly small cars I'm talking about, a Volvo C40, as I remember, um, uh, seven tons of CO2 produced just in building that miracle lithium ion battery that supposedly saves the universe. So when you're done, um, it's about, um, there's about in the manufacture of the car, there's about 40% more CO2 produced in a battery powered car than in a gas powered car. And then what everybody does is tries to calculate um, when because it's got zero tailpipe emissions, the crossover point where uh, the BEV starts producing less in its lifetime because a gas-powered car puts out uh, CO2 uh, because it burns fossil fuels. Um, just for a little um, uh, context, uh, when it's wind-powered, two equivalent, when all the energy to, uh, to, uh, to build the car and to recharge the car is wind powered or solar powered completely green um an equivalent volvo bev will start uh, the crossover point is at forty-four thousand kilometers after that its lifetime emissions are less than the gas powered car um if it's at a typical like eu um uh grid mix where there's some fossil fuels but it's mostly green the crossover point is seventy-seven thousand. And if you take the worldwide average where we use a lot of coal in a lot of places, it's 110,000 kilometers. So in other words, at 110,000 kilometers, it, the electric vehicle finally uh, has less lifetime CO2 emissions because it started in the hole. That all being said, the reason why the electric vehicle can catch up to the gas-powered vehicle is that um, uh, the fossil fuel that powers the electric, uh, the gas-powered car is emitting uh, tailpipe emissions and adding carbon to the atmosphere. As I just pointed out and how it works, the uh, a gas-powered car running on synthetic fuel would add 
no uh, carbon dioxide to the uh, to the um, to the atmosphere. So the electric vehicle never catches up, never, ever. So the fact is, is if you use the two cars that I, I uh, that I that I read the study for Volvo, an XC40 gas powered car, which is an SUV, would always be less CO2 intensive through it throughout its driving lifetime uh, than a battery equivalent C40, which is actually a smaller car. So that's a really big deal. And, and again, that goes against all the information that we have so far, uh, or we've been given so far, and it's upset the apple cart somewhat. So this synthetic fuel, could I just, let's take the XC40, could you just empty it of gasoline or even with half a tank of regular gasoline and pour in some of the synthetic fuel and away you go? Or is there treatments involved? Is there Are there things needed to be done to the typical internal combustion engine to accommodate for synthetic fuel? The, a, typical, a typical one, no, actually. You can mix them. Uh, um, you can um, run only on one and then switch to the other. I, I, from what I understand and, and, and understand that the fuels used in racing cars like Formula One and stuff like that, not only do we not know what synthetic fuel they're going to run, they won't tell us what kind of fuel they're running now. But Formula One and the motorcycle equivalent MotoGP have always already said they're going to be running Syngas in the near future. And to get absolute optimum performance out of them, they have to make tweaks a little bit to the cylinder head, something to the fuel injection system and stuff like that. But in general, no, no, you just, I mean, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a Ford Ranger in, uh, in the parking lot right now, and it would run, it wouldn't know the difference between the, uh, uh, a carbon neutral um, synthetic gas and, and a regular fossil fuel gas. It wouldn't know the difference at all. So who's pursuing this research? Is it is it big oil? Is it uh, is it is it you know the the MITs, the startups of the world? Where 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 is this technology being advanced? Well, really funny, and I wrote a story you might remember about it. Okay, first off, Porsche is pushing this hard with Siemens. They have a pilot plant that is actually going to expand quite a bit in Punta Arenas, uh, Chile. Um, we've driven cars. Driving.ca has that were powered by gasoline um, from that point to, uh, point Arenas uh, plant, and it was no problem. The other place, and 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 I think I mentioned this in the in one of our two previous podcasts, um, Texas. You can't call it green energy because they get upset, but they're doing building a lot of hydrogen plants, and they're also building a synthetic gas plant in Texas. In fact, as I think I mentioned before in another podcast. They have three times as much windmill action as California does. Texas, Texas, it's coming on board. Um, the, the re, uh, getting back to the reaction of the community to this, the because it really is hard to argue with the numbers that I just mentioned. Though those, and this includes scientists, those that really don't want it to happen, have fallen back on their defense lines, you know, they've, they've, they're heading back to the Maginot line um, because they can't beat it on the uh, on the uh, zero emissions aspect. And they're talking about efficiency. And it, it, that is the bugaboo of all of this. Um, a, a ZEV, um, depending on who you talk to, is uh, 70 to 80% effective in using electricity. These things are like between 10 and 20%. So it's going to take a lot more electricity to make this zero emission gas. 
okay? And so they're saying it's not efficient. Well, the problem with that is, one, the only people that really care about efficiency is scientists because, um, you know, I, I mean, for instance, uh, Canada used to have a lot of subcompact fuel economy cars, and we have none anymore. We're all driving around in Ford F-150s, and that's even when gas went to $2, $2 a litre. Mm-hmm. So if efficiency um, um, uh, were really as important to the consumer as it appears to these scientists claiming that that's the reason um, synthetic gas can't work, we'd all be driving around in Nissan Micras, and that isn't happening. The second uh, thing is is that part of the process, as I've already said, uh, is the electrolyzing of uh, water into hydrogen. And hydrogen isn't as efficient uh, use of electricity as uh, as electricity. Its efficiency is a little better. It's probably closer to 30 or 35%. It's still not as good as a BEV, but we're already building that. Like that, that ship has already sailed. Uh, hydrogen is uh, production plants are being built all around the world. Hydrogen will... You know, I'm not sure if it'll be as important to transportation as batteries by 2040 or not. But the, uh, for a long time, everybody in the battery mobility world poo-pooed hydrogen, and that's not happening. And so half of the process of building synthetic gas is building hydrogen, and that's already be, being done um, on a large scale and will be on a huge scale in the future. So all those um, 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 concerns that these people are voicing, the numbers are real. Their analysis is way off. So the hydrogen, just to get clear, what you're saying is th- is the energy required to make synthetic gas is is great. You need, it is. You, you, need, you, need a, you need a source of of ideal, well, to, to, to close the loop, clean energy to do that. And as it stands now, apart from a small, you know, uh, plant on the coast of Chile with a few windmills um, to scale it up. You really need that's that's the limiting factor with synthetic fuels right now. Is is that it is the, the arguments that the uh, the battery powered people are making are the very same arguments they tried to reject when you know uh, gas heads were saying, "Oh, batteries will never work." It's the exact right. same arguments they're making. It's exactly the same. So I mean, that's silly on one part. And the second thing is, is let's remember something really important here. Uh, even I don't think we're going to make it to 100 percent zero emission by 2035. I think I, lovely that people have this ambition, but I don't think it's realistic. But whatever the case, even if it did happen at that point in time, there would be more than two billion gas fueled cars on the road today that and, and unless somebody goes crazy and outlaws them. And I mean, I think that they would be, you know, voted out of office in a, in a, in a nanosecond. That means those cars will be around at least 12 to 15 years. That's in um, first world countries like North America In third world countries, like, you know, places that I visited like Morocco, where they keep cars for 50 or 60 years, those cars are all going to be polluting for quite some time. And there's a lot of them. So all these people that are saying that, oh, let's not even try to build synthetic gas because batteries will do it and this is inefficient, are dooming the planet to worse um, a worse atmosphere and more greenhouse gases because all those cars that are all 
already in uh, on the road and will be on uh, in production until 2035 are going to be driving for a lot longer. And they, if you run them on, on regular fossil fuels, they're going to continue to pollute. If they're running on synthetic gas, they will not. So, I mean, it's it's in everybody's interest to make this work. So I know you engage people of, of differing opinions. I think you revel in it, actually. You love a good debate. You love, you love facts. I mean, you have an engineering mind, so you like to, to drill down to facts and not emotion. At the end of the day, what we're all after here, be it BVs, hydrogen, synthetic fuel, is, is zero emission. So, so to me, why are there these, these pitched camps that, that, you know, say only EVs, that's the only way forward? Why, why, I don't understand what they're, 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 why they're so beholden to that technology when the reality is it'll be a number of technologies that get us there. Why, why, why are they, is it just as you say, the, the nature of the times that we're, we're so polarized in our opinion? I, 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 I can't come up with a, a, a better reason. I mean, you're asking me, why are people stubborn? And, and, and more importantly, why do see, people seem more stubborn now than ever before? Um, mm. You know, I don't have an answer. I do know that it is those same polemics. You know, it, it, and it also, we, we live in an, an era where of idealism. I mean, back in the day, um, and this is off topic a little bit, but back in the day, idealism was a road forward, something way distant in the future, that was not necessarily a goal, but a direction, you know? Uh, it, um, uh, now we believe that whatever idealistic projections we can come up with can be a, can be real. You know, I mean, 50 years ago or 30 years ago, if somebody had said, let's build a wall between Mexico and the um, uh, United States, what that would have been understood as would be that we need to be tougher on immigration or yeah. illegal immigration. And everybody would accept it, and there would have been various nuances to the argument. Now, somebody says build a wall, and somebody, I mean Donald Trump, and people believe there's going to be a freaking wall. Yeah, it's literal. They've taken an idealistic stance and and taken it as literal, and anything short of that, you're you're torturing babies and you're, you're a traitor to the cause. And that's become stronger these days. And I certainly see it with the battery electric crowd. Uh, it's really too bad. I mean, again, we can argue till we're blue in the face, which, you know, if somebody came to me in, uh, with an argument and said, look, Dave, uh, I get what you're saying about hydrogen and synthetic gas, but I don't think your numbers are right. I think it's going to be 85% battery electrics and uh, the, the last 15 will be switched between hydrogen uh, and, and synthetic gas. I, I wouldn't agree with him, but I respect that opinion. Um, it, it's it's certainly possible. But when everybody says that everything, every form of mobility, and you know, this is circling back to where we started the conversation, planes, trains, automobiles, motorcycles, long-haul trucks, everything's going to have a battery. Nothing other than a battery and no other technology than a battery. I, it's, I, I don't know what to say to that. You can, it's really hard to argue with somebody that believes in... In, 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 in that it's it's become something of a religion I certainly see some parallels between between that and traditional religiosity it's it's I, I you you cannot compromise enough for them to back off that situation so what's the point of talking to them well Dave I, I hope our discussion today kind of adds I won't I started this this discussion off with a pun so I'll, I'll, I'll 
close it up with one fuel to the fuel to the fire, right? Fuel to the arguments. And uh, I think you've provided some some logical information anyway. And I hope it might get some people who are in some of those pitch camps thinking, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe the motor mouth's onto something here. Yep. Thanks very much for that. And you know, I mean, I can't change the world. I can only try to affect it in this small way, and it's extremely small, my contribution. There are a lot more important voices than my own. But hopefully, you know, if, if enough of us talk and try to get some compromise with the same goal, with the same goal, which is reducing carbon output from cars, maybe enough people will listen. Let's hope so. Thanks very much for joining David and myself on the Motormouth podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll have another one coming in three weeks' time. Be sure to look for David's weekly Motormouth column on driving.ca every Friday. On the topic of what we're talking, uh, the, the Porsche Chile um, plant, one of our colleagues, as I think David alluded to, Al Alder, did a, did a really great deep dive. He actually went down there, flew on like nine planes to get there, I think, but he managed to get to the tip of the continent and uh, did a tour, drove a car. Um, I encourage anybody who's interested in the synthetic fuels to read David's motor mouth on it, but also to look up Elle's uh, piece on driving.ca. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. And be sure to subscribe to Motormouth Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until the next time. If, like me, you live life in four-wheel drive while brushing your teeth with rough-cut pine lumber, you'll want to listen to the Truck Guy podcast from driving.ca. The Truck Guy podcast is presented by driving.ca's Matthew Guy. I'll host a new expert guest every episode to talk about pickup trucks and 4x4s. Ride Shotgun as I explore truck-related topics ranging from towing and overlanding to the latest models and their hot new features. Produced right here in Canada, the Truck Guy podcast is your dirt road ride to fresh inside takes on the latest truck news, test drives, how-to tips, and just maybe a dose or two of high octane opinion join me to explore the best that canada has to offer for off-road wheeling towing and hauling camping and a bit of truck-based diy <laughs> beds aren't just for sleeping they're for hauling dirt towing trailers and just about any other work or recreation task you can think of the truck guy podcast is available on apple music spotify or wherever you download your favorite audio program